This episode of the Dream Big, Play Bigger podcast is brought to you by ATP Science, presented by Spartan Media Fest. This last September, I had the opportunity to go to the Spartan World Championships as part of the Spartan Media Fest. So grateful for the opportunity they had to bring me out there. I was able to meet a lot of incredible people, capture their stories and their insight into different areas of life that I'm hoping to share with you that you can take notes and apply it to your life. Things like fear from the fear guru, Chris who suffered a spinal cord injury and then competed as an Olympian in Paralympics winter sports, and Mark England, a friend of mine who teaches how we can use language and understand language to transform our minds, how we see certain things, which will then translate into how we live and experience life, all through the power of converting our language and how we use it. So please sit back, take some notes and enjoy. I will say that I... I'm new to the podcast game, and this was my first time on the road, so you'll hear some differences in audio, and I apologize for that in advance, but stick with it. Take what you can from the content. I promise you will not be disappointed if you listen to the message. Thank you so much. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dream Big, Play Bigger podcast. I'm your host, AJ Richards, and this afternoon... Here at the beautiful Spartan World Championships 2019, presented by ATP Science, I'm with Mark England, creator of Enlifted Athlete with Mike Bledsoe and also Procabulary, which, by the way, if you guys are listening to this, check it out. I've been studying this for a few months now since Mike introduced it to me, and it's made a huge impact. So, Mark, thanks for being here with me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, This is good, man. It's good to see you again. Good to be up here. Gorgeous weather. Yeah. Gorgeous scenery, the whole thing, and then uh, you know we got some got some action. Right? Can you believe this is what we get to do? I mean, we're sitting in an RV checking out Tahoe at the Olympic Village, and this is what we get to do. Yeah, I've thought <laughs> this a couple of times. Yes, yeah. um, I'm I'm with you. I'll take it. It's fun. Yeah, Tahoe. So, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Your how you got to where you're at. Um, what your kind of what your upbringing was like? Because we've been talking for a minute here, and sure having these kinds of conversations and thinking the way we think wasn't where we came from. Not at all. And there's nothing wrong with where we came from. However, discovering what we know now about language and how it affects our lives, we have more say in what our life looks like. Yeah, big time. Big time. Uh, I was born and raised in Richmond, Virginia, and had a quote-unquote normal upbringing in the public school system and in... uh, in the suburbs outside of Richmond. My dad owned uh, a small chain of convenience stores in and around the city. And my mother was a stay-at-home mom. High school for me was, you know, it looked like something out of one of those high school movies. You know, I was in, in, the, in the cool crowd. And, yep. and, you know, the cheerleaders and you know, parties and um, pretty, pretty standard in that regard. Um, I wrestled in high school. Okay. What weight class? I was 112. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, 112 and then, and, uh, 125. Thank God for teachers that care. So when I was in ninth grade, my science teacher that I liked very much, a guy named Dick Overton, he said, Mark, um, I think you should come out for the wrestling team. And I said, yes, simply because I liked the guy. Went out, wrestled, uh, wrestled through high school, liked it. Didn't love it, liked it. Mm -hmm. 
But what it did is it gave me a background or a foundation for when I was presented with an opportunity to try Brazilian jiu-jitsu in college. Okay. I raised my hand when our, our PE coach said, is there any wrestlers in the room? I raised my hand. He said, yeah. we do jiu-jitsu Tuesday and Thursday. You should come out and check it out. And you know, pinning someone, taking them down, pinning mm-hmm. them. Okay, got mm-hmm. it. Again, again. Yeah. good, cool. Yeah. Choking someone, on the other hand, <laughs> that was a completely different conversation. <laughs> I remember very clearly the first time I got choked. First class I went into, we did some drills and then live wrestling and live rolling, as they say. As yeah. it says. And uh, this guy choked me. Very, I, I, everything went black, let go. And I thought to myself, this is the coolest thing I've ever come across <laughs> ever. So I, so you, hold on, you getting choked was like it for you. It I was mean, huge. And really? it goes straight into the, it, it was a direct line into the personal and professional development conversation, the vocabulary conversation, the enlifted athletes conversation. I think back to what my life would have been like and what version of me would have transpired because I know that that core story that got set up, mm-hmm. if I did not, negation acknowledged, have the path of martial arts to refine myself and iron out character flaws and develop a little bit of grit, okay, and a, and a decent work ethic that paid dividends when I had to go to work on myself. So uh, I'm graduating and you know, my friends were, were all competing in MMA back in the day. This is late 90s, late mm-hmm. 90s, uh, early 2000s. And I was the mediocre athlete in a, uh, in, a, in a room full of absolute studs. And that always pissed me off. What I did do, though, is that I, had, uh, I was very reliable when it came to fight time. Okay. Okay. So I was decent in the gym. I was very good in the ring because I just I got I got simple. Yeah. In my mind, and I'm like, I'm getting in this person's face, and I'm going to make something happen. Okay. And I just kept that story there. Yeah. As in mental toughness. Mm-hmm. And um, so a lot of my friends were going pro. Cool. Let's let's let's. That's what we're gonna do. It's the only thing I wanted to do outside of college. Yeah. And so I got the opportunity to move overseas, AJ, when I was 25 years old, to move over to Thailand. And that was a plan. Yeah. Move over to Thailand, polish up the Thai boxing skills, come on back, go pro, I'll be over there for a year. Mm-hmm. Six months after I was over there, I find myself on the operating table, getting my second knee surgery. Second and in Thailand or second in? Second overall, okay. first in Thailand. Okay. And the whole thing stopped, dude. Mm-hmm. The entire thing stopped. And what I mean by the thing is the world I created for myself, take out world, put in identity of a fighter. So I was addicted to the whole thing through and through, from the intensity of the workouts to the nail biter, the nail, the, 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 the stress and anxiety of a, a training camp to that very intense moment when you step into a ring and compete against another trained fighter in your underwear mm-hmm. in front of a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a point in time, date and destiny. Nothing else exists in the universe. Win or lose, you're in there and you've got a very focused experience. Yeah. 
And, uh, and, and then also, you know, the accolades, man. Because it was, even though it was very unknown at the time, it was still a cool thing to do, mm-hmm. okay? Because people would talk about it. Oh, man, that guy's a fighter. Man, I, lo- I loved that shit. I wanted people to be, can we drop F-bombs on yeah, here? Okay, yeah, cool. Totally. I was about to, <laughs> we, we might have to rewind this. And I loved that, dude. I wanted people to be afraid of me mm. because I was insecure about myself thoroughly through yeah. and through. I was like, I'm going to scare the crap out of as many people as possible. And I, I literally fed off of that energy. Yeah. And so when the doctor looked at me post-op and said, dude, you're done. You could, could, not can or will, could become a very good swimmer. And I believed him, one, because he's an authority figure. Yeah. Okay, and two, and I'm in pain. Yeah. And, and, and three, of course this is happening to me because there's something wrong with me. Mm. Because there's, 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 it, it finally caught up to me that, 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 that knowledge, that, that knowing that, that, you know, I was doomed to fail, that I'm a, I'm a loser, and now here's the proof. Oh, here's yeah. all the proof. Dude, darkness descended, man. Dude, that's a juicy story. It's a juicy story. Yeah. I didn't laugh for a year. when this Really? Thing, yeah. And I was over there with a, my girlfriend, super cool, gorgeous girl, uh, super fun. We had so much fun together. And then when that, when I got my pacifier ripped out of my mouth, <laughs> I I literally did not laugh for a year. I wore a stone cold, puckered face. I didn't smile. And when someone, I had I had the, I had the biggest victim mentality story going. It's so entrenched, telling myself the worst stuff about myself. <laughs> and um, and that went on for long long enough of a period of time to me. And I'm, I'm glad I was able to see it for what it was back then because um, I'm an average guy, average intelligence. I come from a normal, quote-unquote, background. There's nothing special about me. The, 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 I, 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 I get on my knees and pray to whatever's listening. Thank you for giving me the insight to be able to look at myself and say, you know what, dude? If you keep on with this story, you will pay mm, wow. dearly. Yeah. I looked, I looked down that road 20, 25, 30 years and saw just a bitter old man. What was that moment when you, when you were on your knees? Like, put, take me to that moment where you're like, okay. Or was it a series of moments? There were a couple of moments of clarity. Okay. One of them was at a Cuban salsa bar. As in salsa dancing. Yeah. Okay. In Bangkok, Thailand. Okay. <laughs> I, my, we were over there. My girlfriend wanted to get into salsa dancing. Yeah. I can barely walk without a limp. Okay. So I'm like, yeah. okay, cool. She she would go and take classes twice a week, and then we would go to this club, La Rueda, on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And you know who goes to Cuban salsa dancing clubs? Who? Cuban dudes. They can dance their asses off. Not Mark. <laughs> I'm at the bar draining Heineken. Oh, jeez. And I'm about, and it was, a, it was a small community. I mean, people would go, they would dance, and then we would go out afterwards partying. Everybody knew we were together. Yeah. And d- this girl really was hot. Yeah. And newsflash, 
Cuban guys really like curvy blonde American girls. I know that's a total shock to everybody <laughs> no. listening. No one would have ever connected those dots, Never. but it's true. I'm at the bar. I'm like seven, eight Heinekens deep, and oh. they're just spinning her around on the floor. Yep, it is. It looks beautiful, and I can. I'm just watching them. The computer's running. Yep. How am I going to get her out of this bar underneath his nose? That's not. What bothered me, mm. what bothered me is that I was cold to it. I didn't care. Oh, wow. I did not care. And when that icy, cold feeling hit, that total indifference to this person that I said I love, I said, dude, you are now, you are officially in it. Another, um, wow. another moment was when a, a book came across my path called The Tao of Health, Sex, and Longevity. And it talked about traditional Chinese medicine in all of its fashions. And the guy that handed me the book said, hey, man, I was living in Bangkok at the time mm-hmm. teaching. And he was like, hey, there's a spa. There's a cleansing resort down on the island of Koh Samui, which is mm-hmm. an hour flight away in the Gulf of Thailand. It's, they run programs based on this book. And I said, I needed some way to work on myself. Yeah. I didn't know what it was. And I sure as hell didn't see the language story identity conversation being the centerpiece of what would help me think and speak myself out of that situation that I created for myself in my mind. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it was, I went down there and I kept going down there and I saw, I met some people that knew things that I needed to know more about. And one of them was the power of our words and that the conversations that we have with ourselves about ourselves massively influence the amount of success we, we uh, again, allow ourselves to have, the amount of opportunity we're able to talk ourselves into. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, the amount of, of enjoyment we allow ourselves to have from the fruits of our labor. I know some very successful people that do not enjoy themselves mm-hmm. simply because they will not give themselves permission. Okay, it's a deservance. It's a deserving thing, and that's getting that's that's driven by stories hmm. that they tell themselves about themselves. It got set up when they were you know younger. So they have every reason to be thrilled with their life financially. They got it all. Yeah, and they, they got just it don't all. Acknowledge it. <laughs> they they literally block themselves from being able to see it. So you as a coach, I'm, you've yeah. probably seen this hundreds of times. Yeah, somebody comes in and they're good. Or really good, and you point that out, and they go, "Yeah, and but did you see where I messed up over here?" Yeah, this one they can do nineteen things right, and yep. I'll break down why this is happening. Yeah, they'll do nineteen things out of twenty right. You'll give them the nod, mm-hmm. like the coach nod, and then they'll go, "Uh, yes, but," and then they go to that one thing that they did wrong. Yeah, we have something. If you're listening to this podcast, you have a piece of hardware in your brain called a reticular activating system. And what that piece of hardware is responsible for is finding things and editing things out, and it is programmable. And when someone is told from a young age that, man, it's so hard to get ahead in life, and people are only out for themselves, yeah, and, and uh, you know, life is just a struggle. Let's say they hear that four or five times from the time they're six to the time they're 12, from someone that they are uh, genetically related to, mm-hmm. they live under the same house with them, uh, the same roof with them, um, they look up to them physically and 
metaphorically. Yep. And, you know, the person that's saying this uh, really believes what they're saying is true. Okay, because there's a difference between what's true for me and what's true yeah. for everybody. Money doesn't grow on trees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that's true for the person that said it. Right. Because it, does that hold for, for everybody? No. Mm-hmm. There are some people that are just loaded, man, and right. have made it all themselves. Right. So it's not, a, it's not a fact. It's an opinion. Right. So we get, we get gifted in a sense because our language and stories are inherited. We inherit our parents' stories and the language that they use to create them. We inherit these opinions and we take them on as fact. And then when our when when we take in information like that and we have an, an emotional experience about it, then our reticular activating system says, okay, cool, this is important. It goes to work with what it does. And so it will block if it's an opportunity thing. Okay, let's say someone heard that that statement. You know, it, um, it's, it's it's really hard to get ahead. They're right. they're they're uh, um, Life is a struggle. Yep. Okay. So because that's fact in my mind, my reticular activating system is going to block me from seeing opportunities or block me from seeing opportunities easily or block me from seeing myself taking advantage of opportunities or succeeding in them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it goes, it goes for opportunities. It goes for uh, uh, facial features. It goes for trucks. We talked about opportunities. So let's talk about facial features. I had a yeah. client come in. She sat down in the chair and said, I got a problem with my face. <laughs> and I said, uh, okay, uh, tell me more. And she said, I know where it's coming from. Yeah. But I, 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 you know, I, I help me. I can't right. do anything about it. Right. She was 10 years old. She walked in, uh, uh, to the family house. It's, uh, it's over Christmas time. And everybody's there, and the, the, the aunt leans down, gets in her face, and goes, My, you have a big nose just like me. Oh. Abracadabra. Shazam. Dude, with the, our words we create. With our words we create. So what does that little girl do? She locks up, tightens up. If you want to know if, if, if part of you is believing something, when someone says something to you and you lock up about it, that's confirmation. She tensed up, mm. went right into the bathroom, and looked, looked at her face, looked at her nose, which was no bigger than it was a minute before her aunt said that to her, and it, her nose looks different. She and now she, it. Exactly. And now every time she goes into the, the bathroom, that's the first thing she looks at, and she yep. obsesses about it. Yep. Okay, that's the reticular activating system. And from then on, it just grew to, you know, I'm ugly. Yeah. Okay. Because our stories collecting stack. evidence to yeah to, to back up that story yes hmm. reticular activating system again uh, uh, my car got stolen in August of 2017 and I borrowed my dad's farm truck 1985 Ford F150 two tones of brown we call it brown and browner and within a matter of hours it was in Richmond Virginia I went out to the farm got it. Drove it back. Within a matter of hours, AJ, I was seeing other 1985 Ford F-150s driving around. Right. There are actually a lot in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. And only the people that drive <laughs> 1985-ish Ford F-150s know how Notice, many there are. I saw yeah. three in two city blocks. Oh, my gosh. And most people have had that experience. Yeah. Like, uh, right. we're in a mobile home right now. Right. Uh, an RV. I guarantee you, if you, the audience listening to this, if you went out and bought an RV... 
you'd start seeing a lot more RVs Marlboros. everywhere. They're everywhere. <laughs> yep. Or if you went out and you bought a, a blue Oldsmobile, mm-hmm. okay, 1989, <laughs> you'd find them everywhere. You'd have right conversations. Right now, I can't think of one I've seen, but you're right. Yeah. And, exactly. <laughs> you'd overhear people talking about yeah. Oldsmobiles yeah. at diners and things like that. Yeah. Or uh, re- look up, for one hour, look up Italy. Vacations to Italy. And there's a very good chance that you, I've done that with myself. Uh-huh. We, we, we were looking, we were going to Italy. The girl I went over to Thailand with is before we moved over there. And uh, a couple hours later, we go to the grocery store and I, out of the corner of my eye, I catch pamphlets for the, uh, the Italian Riviera and, and just on the side of the uh, little kiosk in the, in, the, in the supermarket. I'm like, dude, that's before I understand this stuff, stood some of this stuff. Yeah. I thought to myself, man, that's crazy. That's weird. And so our language, it influences us. We said abracadabra. I bring that up from time to time in uh, podcasts and presentations, and especially when I'm talking to children about this. If you've totally. got kids or you, or if you have kids, if you uh, teach children, whether they're young or middle school age, this is the place to start the conversation. So, hey, kids, you know what abracadabra means? Yeah, yeah, magic. Yep. No, it's even better than that. Yep. Abracadabra, and this is true. You can look this up. Yep. Abracadabra is Aramaic, which is an ancient language, and it translates to with my word I create or with my word I influence. This was such a big deal for the teachers of the day, mm-hmm. Okay, the metaphysicians of the day, the spiritual leaders of the day, that that, that is yeah. personal and professional development. Right. That's what we call it now. Yeah, right. Developing oneself. Knew that that was the key for laying the foundation for all the other types of development. We have to have the story right. working for us. Mm. Most people's language works against them. So in these conversations, we help people understand the mechanism of storytelling. Yeah. Because we're telling ourselves a story all day long right. about ourselves. Right. And if we're using a lot of negations, if we're talking to AJ about the things that we can't do and mm-hmm. what isn't possible and what shouldn't have happened and what I can't keep doing, what I, I don't like about this part of me, if I repeat that you know, 40, 50 times, then that's the worry. That's the worst case scenario. And then we add in some soft talk. Mm. Well, you know, uh, uh, I, I think I might probably like to go to Spartan yeah. <laughs> Worlds, you know? If I'd said that, there's a real good chance I'm still in San Diego. Yeah, right. Because I'm I'm forcing myself to stay indecisive. Yeah. And then we got projections, the blame game. You know, he made me think we mm. need to get married. Or you really embarrassed me last night. She never lets me think for myself. That those, those, that, those kinds of sentences, the syntax yep. there, it forces me to see a victim and a villain in my imagination. Yeah. And from there, I go into a stressed state. Okay? And one of the reasons that you and I are sitting here right now is in October of 2016, we had done enough work in certain yoga circles that... And what, why we were successful in, in, in having these conversations with yogis is because we made it very clear in conversation and in the demonstration of this work, of story work, that what we think and say influences how we breathe. Okay. And just so interesting. So thoughts and words 
have a direct impact on the breathing. On the breath. And then you're going to probably share what the impact of that is, how it carries forward. Yes, for sure. <clears throat> the When I say she never lets me think for myself, or I think she never lets me think for myself, and I paint that picture in my imagination, or I create that little snippet, that little mental movie, I, I send myself into a stress response. Who likes being victimized? Mm. Okay. Yep. And from there, I can go into other times when right. she's done that. Right. And collecting evidence collect, for that belief. That exactly, yep. exactly right. Collecting evidence and, mm-hmm. and also creating some of it. Oh, dude. Creating yeah. evidence. Okay. Planting evidence. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then, and then we give ourselves a, yep. a, a mental prison sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I got to tell you real quick. Though, Do it. Before we move on. Do you know what this is? It looks like a talking stick. A little magic wand? From what you're taught, I saw this floating in the river, and I'm like, here's my magic wand for Dude. abracadabra. Abracadabra. So now when I'm coaching my clients, a lot of them are video calls. I'll be like, so if I had my, ma- oh, wait a minute. I have my magic wand, abracadabra. Who are you without that thought? Dude. Right? Dude. I so love it. This, is, this came from vocabulary, learning the distinction of abracadabra with my words we create. So I have actually a magic wand. When I'm coaching. <laughs> and that gets their attention. It totally, like, it's a, it disrupts their, like, yes. my coach has a magic wand. That's kind of weird, and I'm listening. It's, it's not normal, right? <laughs> so, Dude, I love it. Keep keep doing more of that. Yeah, totally. But let me just share something with you. Please. So, when, uh, so I deployed, my wife and I, we'd been married for uh, two weeks. Okay. I got deployed. I was gone wow, for six fast. months. Yeah. We, we already had the date planned. And I said, sure, look, sure. if the, and we didn't know when the date was, I just got called up and I said, Hey, if the date to deploy comes after our wedding date, let's keep it. If it comes before, we're not going to move it up just to get it done because maybe it ain't supposed to happen and we'll see how it goes. Right. Sure, sure. So we left it. Sure enough. Deployment was two weeks after the marriage. So I'm gone. I'm gone for like three months. And, uh, I had started creating this story around intimacy with my relationship. Like there just wasn't none or enough, right? This story. I'm not getting what I want, so I'm creating this story that there's just this real big disconnect, and I told it over and over and over again. Then I deploy. I come home for a weekend thinking I'm swinging from the chandeliers. Like I've been gone from my newlywed wife. It's on. The last thing that 20-year-olds know how to do effectively is communicate. Communicate. So I didn't communicate my expectations or my desires to come home and be with my wife. I just showed up thinking she should be on the same page. And yet I've got this brand new wife who's, I've been disconnected and her love language isn't physical touch. And I've not been around to give, answer her love language. Essentially, I'm almost a stranger coming home, right? Got it. On a certain level. I left completely unfulfilled. I created a story for the next decade that when I went home to visit, she didn't even touch me. 2014, I'm in the Landmark Forum, and we start talking about creating story, collecting evidence. And I went, oh, shit. <laughs> I mean, my, my marriage was a shit show. We just couldn't get on the same page because, look, I, I pushed intimacy away because every time the evening would come, I would lead with that energy waiting to collect evidence to be right that it wasn't going to happen again because then I could be so right. Common. Right? Just so, and, and then when I got clear, like, oh my gosh, so I called her. It was night one of the forum. I called her on my way home and I said, hey, you know I've been telling this story that you didn't even touch me when I came home to visit? And she's like, yeah, I don't know why you say that. 
don't you remember the condo and the champagne and like, which the champagne was a, like, is what all of a sudden brought all the memories back because we were, uh, we were Mormons at the time and that was like a huge no-no. Okay. And so that snapped me out of this story. I was like, the champagne just brought back all the memories. We had a normal togetherness, right? When I came home, we, our intimacy was normal to be expected, but I had created such a story because then I could be right with anybody I spoke to. Like, really? That bitch didn't touch you? Like, the ego wanted Trauma to just bonding. win every... What's it called? Trauma bonding. Trauma bonding. Oh, dude, yeah. So any conversation I was in, I had everybody had my back because that's messed up. Justification. The cost of that was not developing a relationship with my wife. Letting all that go, discovering what I know, completing that process. You know, uh, and I share this pretty openly. We've been married 16 years. 14 miserable years. The last two years, not like I ever thought possible. Congratulations. Thank you. And, and there was a moment, like you said, where uh, my first coach in professional development, Steve Hardison, yep. we were sitting in the gym and I said, listen, any advice you can give me, I can't afford your coaching, but any advice you can give me, please share. I can't fucking stand her. I, if I could plug her into a computer and upload all this new software where she was, you know, the greatest porn star in the bedroom and the, the best mother and all, like, spit out exactly what I want, I don't want her. Something's wrong here. What's wrong with me that if I could do that and she could be that way that I couldn't accept her? It was my stories. I'd created such strong stories, kind of like you in the, that club and just having that, that ice feeling. I was like, there's something over here going on. Yeah. And that's when I went, that he goes, go to Landmark. And I was like, okay, so I went. So anyway. Dude, very cool. Yeah. I have a collecting evidence story myself, a reticular activating system story yeah. myself. So I got obsessed with people's injuries when I was injured. Oh, really? I would, I would like look at people's knees. Like really? I, like, I would look at people's knees and look for the ACL scar. Or, or somebody with a shoulder injury or some any anything like walking with a limp because I, I just I, I I got so I didn't get it I created yeah I programmed myself to find other people's what I thought was their pain and bonded through a story, whether I struck up a conversation with them or not. And I loved it, dude, when people would tell me about the injuries that they had that, you know, kept them out of the big leagues. Oh, I was like, man. oh, you're one of my friends. Yeah. <laughs> okay. As Dang. opposed to any uh, anything but that, man. Yeah. Anything but that. We're, and this is, is very, very common. And what I mean by this is very, very common is, is, is we are at all times telling ourselves a story about ourselves and our place in the world. And what I would like the listeners to do is to contemplate the mechanics of storytelling. Yeah. Okay. The storytelling mechanism. In school, in the public school system, so I came up through the public school system and I have a degree in international education. I have a master's degree. And on both sides of, of those experiences of education, I didn't have one class, course, or conversation about how my language was influencing me as a person, mm -hmm. as a character. Right. Okay, so this is going to dovetail back okay. into the breathing yeah. and the stress response okay. and why you and I are sitting here. 
one of the reasons why you and I are sitting here. So when we talk about abracadabra and our words influencing us, what aspects of ourselves, of our experiences of ourselves, is our language influencing? We look at four key components. Our imagination, our feelings and emotions, our physiology, and how we breathe. Mm. Okay? So this is a story I share frequently because it puts all of it on the table immediately. I was coaching a young man uh, about his, his, his professional life, and he, we were, he was about same distance apart. You and I mm-hmm. are right now, but four feet, something mm-hmm. like that. And very emphatically, he looked at me and said, Mark, I can't keep focusing on my past. And turned around very quickly and looked behind him and then turned and looked at me. I'm looking straight at him. Of mm-hmm. course, I saw it. Yeah. He didn't know he did that. Really? He and didn't know he looked. He didn't know he turned around and looked behind him. So look at the words. I can't yep. keep focusing on my past. Yeah. And I said, you know, you just turned around and looked behind you, right? He goes, what? I said, yeah. What did you see? What do you mean? What did you see in your imagination? Oh, man. Okay. And he had to stop and think. And that's another interesting side note. We're using our language so quickly that we're engaging with our imagination and our feelings and emotion, our physiology and our breathing so rapidly, it's very common for us to miss what we're doing and for it to snowball. <laughs> so he, I asked him, what did you see? And he said, I, I saw myself all, all alone and on the couch. Okay, so that's two. Yep. Physiology, it wasn't a micro movement. Right. He didn't like tick Right. His, his face or like brush his nose. He turned his whole body around and looked behind him. His physiology, his imagination, he made that picture of him. His breathing, well, his, how was he feeling? He was stressed and anxious and then his breathing. His breathing was locked up. It was in his upper chest. So when someone uses in vocabulary what we call conflict language, okay, they put themselves and very frequently because bodies that are in motion or emotion tend to stay in emotion. Mm-hmm. Amygdala hijack, everybody. Look that up. That's a that's a standard psychological term, psychiatry term. When we go into stress responses, sympathetic nervous system responses, we trap our breathing in our upper chest. It's known as shallow breathing, labored breathing, or coastal breathing. And we have language that describes this in our language. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to get this off my chest. Oh. What's the this? Pressure, tension, yeah. tightness. Yeah. Let's let's clear the air, AJ. <laughs> okay, clear what it? Yeah. The right. air in the tires? <laughs> yeah. The right. air in the closet? No, the air in my lungs because it's stagnant and stale. And Very we need to talk this out. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And then we take a sigh of relief mm-hmm. of pressure. I just gave myself <laughs> breathing room. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, what we show is that when we change up the, the, the language, the words that we're using in a certain way, we can talk ourselves down. We can turn the volume level down on the drama and the breathing descends back down into the abdomen where it should be which is very important for someone who is um, trying to lose weight, okay? Right. Or get in better shape 
or learn to speak publicly or create a better relationship with their spouse mm-hmm. um, or anything. Learning when someone is in a relaxed state, Mike Bledsoe dropped this knowledge bomb on me this weekend. When it knows, anyways, yeah. a couple days ago, we did a podcast. 20 times faster than when people are in a stress state. Really? They learn 20 times faster when they're in a relaxed state. We've all had conversations with people that are, when they are stressed in an upregulated state, they don't even hear us. Okay? And most of the time, we're right there with them. So it's just this shouting match because nobody can hear each other. Right. You can even see it when people drive, man. Someone's late. You ever seen this? Someone's late and they have to turn down the radio because they can't even hear themselves think. They're like over the, over the. That's been me before. It's been me before (laughs) too. Okay. Yep. And, and so when, uh, uh, so if someone's making behavioral changes, addressing the story, getting ourselves out of these stress responses, it makes making adjustments to our day to day, week to week habits so much more effective. The story work is crucial when it comes to developing ourselves both personally and professionally. So we've done all this work in the yoga circles and um, I'm like, CrossFit. Yeah. I like CrossFitters. Yeah. Because they've got they've they've got work ethic, man. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that they work out together too. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. It's not everybody in the gym with earphones and right. just doing their own thing. They're they're tribal and they 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 go after stuff. Like they 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 really push themselves. Obviously, um, I want to do some CrossFit podcasts. I messaged three athletes and two box owners, and they all came back and said barbell shrug. Right. And one dude was like, Oh, by the way, would you like an introduction to Mike Bledsoe? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> Email introduction, boom, boom, one, one, a ping pong, just back and forth. Yep. And we're talking about cat the calendar. When, when can I come out to LA? I'm in Thailand at the time. I'm like, this is, there's something here, man. Mm-hmm. So I got on a plane, man. I flew home and then went over to, went over and did, uh, did their shows in early, well, I know the date, January 20th, 2017. Did barbell shrugged in the morning and barbell business in the afternoon. And guess what I did this morning? I did barbell shrugged this morning with Mike Bledsoe, Doug Larson, yep. and Anders. And Anders, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that was really cool for a variety of reasons. Two and a half years, this comes full circle. And we sit down and uh, Doug Larson gave such a, an accurate and eloquent and and very thoughtful description of the language game in his opinion and what he is seeing it do to his children. Oh. They have, exactly. They have uh, a, a, a pattern, a process, a habit in place. It's in the culture of the family that when someone says a negation, that they'll stop and invest a moment in time to rephrase that. So when his son talks about what he can't do, it's like, okay, cool. How else can you say that? And it took a little while. Yeah, okay? practice. Yeah. Practice, mm-hmm. sure. And, the, and he says his sons, he's got three. Uh, I, 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 can, I, I can do this, this, and this. 
And he said they've done it so much now that the, his, his oldest will catch himself halfway through a negation statement and just translate it. No oh, prompting man. whatsoever. Mike Bledsoe, he talked about this in the, um, at the Strong Coach. I remember him saying yeah, this. Yeah, he said yeah. those kids are going to run shit. Oh, tough. Because they yeah. will, because they can yeah. stay focused. Yep. They can stay focused on what's important to them. The, the, the story won't be their dialogue. Their story won't run the show. They will run the show. Yes. Yeah. They will own their mind. They'll yeah. own their mental real estate. Yeah. And they'll set it up in a way that serves them. Yeah. Um, and and what, what, you know, what we're talking about here is productivity. Right. Okay. Story work equals productivity. When someone is able to use their language in certain ways... They know a little bit about the game or more than a little bit about the game. If they want to really learn what's going on, they moderate their story. That's them staying focused on what matters to them. Yeah. That's the, that's the elevator pitch for, for vocabulary yeah. is that it is a productivity tool that helps people organize what they think and say so they stay focused on what matters to them. Hmm. Okay? It only took me 12 years. Well, we've been using that for 11 11 years and a lot of help to get to a place where I succinctly say that and it makes sense to people. On a sales side of the conversation, this stuff is golden because it helps you clarify your message. Before I was, I was bad at sales. I was bad at selling, okay? Because I, I talked about the wrong things, okay? And I also had some issues with myself as far as my identity as a, um, in professional circles. Okay. Okay. Because I got started as a one-on-one practitioner and I pigeonholed myself as that. Mm. And so when I met my business partner after eight years as a single, as as an individual practitioner and I was doing a lot of presentations, but they were all on like the festival scene. Okay. Okay. And in yoga studios. Yeah. And that's very different to corporate sales training. Right. And he comes from a prestigious corporate sales training development background. Mm-hmm. And he's like, this, this is everything you've been doing, and it's a lot more. And you're going into corporate. And um, anyway, when someone is, if anyone is in the sales game, because guess what? Everyone's in the sales game. Right. If you want, if you're pitching a vacation to your spouse, you want to go, then um, your ability to convincingly tell him or her a great story about what will happen if you all go. That's sales. Yeah, sales right. is storytelling. <laughs> right. That's okay. right. And uh, or if you're you have um, if you have a gym and you want to enroll more people into your gym, then when you come in, you tell them what the benefits are and what the process of enrollment is. That is storytelling. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to lose weight and feel better about yourself, guess who you have to sell on that idea? You. You. Yep. That's storytelling. And when someone, back to breathing, when someone tells stories and they're breathing in their abdomen, they're not confident. They're definitely not insecure and they're not confident. They're comfortable. Okay. That's the sweet spot because they're delivering their message from from within them. They're relaxed about it. They're clear on yes. it. Yes. They don't feel like they're trying to convince. They're just sharing. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. <laughs> so what we do in, with the sales conversation is we help we help sales teams get comfortable first and foremost with themselves, and then in the 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 pitching process, the storytelling process, and um, 
And that is one of the most valuable teaching lessons that I, I bring to the table as far as this is concerned. And it's very simple is that your language is influencing you yeah. in a variety of ways. And one of them is it's, it is either constricting or, or liberating, expanding your ability to breathe well. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And when someone works out with really messed up breathing mechanics, what's going to happen? Yeah, they're gonna get hurt. They're gonna get hurt. Yeah. I, I hurt. I hurt my because I hurt myself, AJ, because I had a, a messed up story in place, and I was breathing very very poorly outside of the gym. And then when I would go to work out. Uh, it was even worse because I was even more stressed because <laughs> yeah. all I want to do is punch people in the face. <laughs> right, choke okay? them out. Choke them out. <laughs> yeah. And 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 by the way, um, yeah, let's add let's add is uh, let's add three or four different you know pre workouts to oh. that mix and go in there and just yeah, it's a bull in a china shop. Yeah. Shop and guess guess who got broken the most? Yeah. Me. <laughs> and it's very common. Right. So. Uh, 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 a victim story, a problematic conflict story equals poor breathing mechanics equals poor movement equals injury. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so one of the reasons that we made and lifted is to help people stay healthier longer in, in their fitness practices. Yeah. Because that's, that is what happened. Tell yourself a little bit better story about yourself and why you're doing what you're doing. You'll breathe a little bit better. You'll move a little bit better. You'll stay in the game a little bit or maybe a lot longer you'll rest better you'll put the donut down yep. more often than you did before mm -hmm. uh and um i've noticed myself poop better yeah I mean, it just goes on and on yeah right it's just cleaner you're you're yes. everything and the processing that you're doing about who you are what you're experiencing is a cleaner process fair to say and accurate yeah so i i uh have been so I've been doing vocabulary. Very cool. I watched some of the enlifted athlete stuff. Sure, phenomenal. And then now that now when I go to the gym, I, I just did this last week. I was at the gym, turned on my my Pandora, and it was there was a gym mix, right? Okay. But it was like fucking hoes, mother, you know. And I'm just like listening to this stuff, <laughs> and I'm like I'm like, and for like right now, after two minutes, I'm like I can't do this. And I went to this motivational mix, which was motivational speakers to, you know, music mix. Dude, that is the best. It's my favorite now. And I'm more, in, I can hear my body. So I can hear what my body's saying because I'm not like trying to drown it out with all, you know, because, you know, one of the things I loved about the Enlifted Athlete was the the, the alter ego, Dude. right? Because who hasn't walked up to the bar and said, come on, fucker, you pussy. Come on, you can do this, you bitch. <laughs> If he can do that, so can I. Dude. Yeah, or the, even as simple as that. Like he got, and so then there's injuries and you're not hearing your body talking to you. And with this other, you know, now that I know better from this education that you guys have put together, it's like, I can't stand that other stuff because I can hear it. I, I actually almost feel like I can feel it making a negative impact on my being. And so when I switch the station and then it's now these you know, positive speeches of empowerment, you know, Jim Rohn or, I mean, you name them, all of these guys, and somebody puts some beat to it. So good, dude. Dude, it's my favorite it's thing. It's the best. Dude, I want to, and frequently, very frequently, leave the gym, leave my workouts smiling. Yeah. I used to leave the workouts, my workouts, with more of a scowl. Yeah on my face than when I walked in. Yeah. Because I put myself in a stress response. It's very hard to smile when you can't breathe very well. And, and uh, uh, that's, that's, 
Dude, you're absolutely right. We have something in the, so we're on our second enlisted certification uh-huh. right now. It's for coaches, it's very fun, but whatever. The Victim Top 40. We take, yeah, because we take songs <laughs> that people like, that they tap their 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 foot along to. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, you know, um, get, get, get quote unquote into, and we obviously just, just take out the music, just read the lyrics. The first one we ever did, people love it, dude. We've done, oh, man, we've done three totally. and it, you just, you just read off the lyrics. Yeah. And then afterwards people are like, I will never listen to that song again. Yeah. Kelly Clarkson, because of you, because of you, oh I'll gosh. never stray too far <laughs> from the sidewalk <laughs> because of you. I stay on the safe side so I don't get hurt. Because of you, wow. I am afraid yep. to not only love me, but anyone else around me. Because of you, hmm. I am ashamed. You know, the, there's that popular saying, you'll become like the five closest people you spend your time around. Yeah. And I tell my clients all the time, we should give more attention to the five most frequent pieces of content we're consuming. Because that's what's feeding our brain. I'm with myself in the content that I'm consuming far more frequently than I am with the people I hang around, whether they're positive people or not. And and there's, you know, with everything that's going on and and stuff in, in the world with generations and them inactive or active, you know, I feel like there's this really, there's not a whole lot of intention put around music as the influence. And let me tell you, my 15-year-old, she doesn't do anything without her f- headphones in. Yeah. So where's these? Where's this information coming from? What is the information and what's it teaching? Right? So just like that Kelly Clarkson song. And she's not the only one, but that, those projections and those all, I mean, just, Dude, it's it, we're riddled. permeated with it. Permeated. And, and we, we nod our heads along, our bodies along, we start dancing. So we're, we're acknowledging it and accepting Buddy, it. Buddy, we are embodying <laughs> it. Marilyn Manson said magic is the high. He said music is the highest form of magic. Mm, that wow. dude, that dude said that. Okay, there's another one. Victim top forty. Uh, uh, Bubba shot the jukebox last night. Okay, it's a, it's a. Uh, I think it came out last year. Uh, Bubba, the, the the jukebox played a sad song and made Bubba cry. Bubba didn't make Bubba cry. The so jukebox it a made a song made, that made him cry. Yeah, yeah. A tear rolled down yep. his eye. Yeah. He went out to his car and got his forty five. And came back in and shot that jukebox because it made him made him cry. So it's another. Is it right? The, I'm not making myself cry, AJ. Right. That jukebox over there yep. is no so responsibility. I'm, I'm none zero. Always a victim. Oh, so for yeah. sure. Me, yeah. me making uh, responsible for my own story. Not yeah. a chance. I'd rather shoot up a jukebox. Yep. Okay. Yep. Or or cause a fight at home. Yeah. Or trash a career <laughs> because it, this isn't my fault. Right. No, not at all. Right. Dude. And then I, I haven't rolled these out yet. You you want the hair to stand up on your arms? Look up some Lincoln Park lyrics. Oh, man. Sorry for all you Lincoln Park fans out there. Yeah. I was a Lincoln Park fan. Yeah. Okay. Look up the lyrics. Huh. Just read them. Don't do do don't don't turn on the music because it's great beats. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just read the lyrics. See, that's interesting. So, like for me, music, I don't hear the lyrics. I mean, I'm, he- I'm sure I'm hearing them and taking mm-hmm. some of it in subconsciously. I couldn't recite a song to save my life, even if I've been listening to it for my, my whole life, right? Pieces of it, yes. But then, like, my daughter, my she's 15. Dude, she'll hear a song once and know every lyric. Yeah. And and uh, so, yeah, man. You know, I, I, one of the things I... 
will you create a program for high schoolers? <laughs> like, I think about this all the time, really. Why does, it, why does there not exist a program? And maybe there does, and I just haven't come across it. But, you know, what I teach as a coach now, the majority of the stuff that I'm helping people with would have been prevented if we had the right education sure. in school. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I haven't touched algebra once since leaving school. No. Not once. And no. yet, that's what determined whether I was passing or not. Sure. But nobody ever talked to me about how my thoughts create my reality. There's a there's a yeah. concept that I... Be a lot more entrepreneurs if there were. Oh, yeah, totally. Be a lot more health. Yeah. A lot more fun, a lot more smiles, a lot, yeah. a lot more uh, art. Yeah. Artistic expression and mm-hmm. beauty. A lot less struggle. A lot less conflict. A lot less addiction. Mm-hmm. A lot less... Uh, uh, self-abuse and disconnection that is coming all those things that I mentioned are driven by stories yeah man with my clients we talk a lot about our thoughts and how our thoughts create our reality okay and uh, Steve told me one time you can take all of your thoughts and essentially plot them on a similar table like the periodic table Yep. Really cool concept, right? So these are elements that can be measured. They exist in reality. Okay. And then if you combine a couple of them, they create a new uh, physical matter, sure. right? So you can do that same concept with thoughts. So if you have a thought, and it's an, a thought that creates some, like an anger, an emotion of anger. Your body's going to release a chemical cocktail associated with this anger. And then this physical being is going to show up in reality as that thought started. So capturing the thought first, right? Byron Katie talks a lot about this. The practice, the way I teach it is we pre- the practice is to become aware that we're even thinking first. Because there's so many, you know, it's who I was. I was an automatic machine based off past life experiences. Something happened without even thinking I'm mad. Don't know why I'm mad. Half the time, <laughs> that was good. I don't know why I'm pissed. That was good. Right? Just something happened, I'm pissed. But I am, and it's me, so I'm, I have to be right. Yeah, I've got to be right. Yeah. My ego's determined that I'm right. Of course this is yeah. accurate. Yeah, and so with the, like you're talking about with breathing, learning how to breathe and capture the thought. <sighs> what about empathy? Does empathy work here? If I can, can recreate this thought of anger and discover empathy, I'm going to release a different set of chemical cocktail and I'm going to show up in my physical reality as somebody who's empathetic and then from there what my future looks like is starkly different than anger big time make ourselves uh, uh, available for empathy Mm. yesterday I was working with a client and she said you know my father uh, he terrorized my mother and myself because he wanted to control us. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Pick up the pen, write it down. Yeah. My father terrorized my mother and myself because he wanted to control us. Say it again. She did. Got the picture. Got the feeling. Take out the us and put in himself. My father terrorized my mother and myself because he wanted to control, he was trying to control himself. Wow. Yep. It changed the picture. And she took, she, that, that is the art and science of going from making 
his actions about her and taking it personally to making it about him, separating. It's, it's, it's the beginning of, of, of ending codependence. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. And immediately she had, she, she had a very uh, powerful experience and was able to nod and give herself some breathing room first and foremost mm-hmm. and then, then feel some empathy for, towards her dad. Okay, because life sucks when we take things personally. And many a time, our language forces us to do that. And we don't even know what, we don't even know what hit us. Yeah. Okay. Right. Huh. What was the impact? So as you're coaching her, yep. how did that unfold? Well, we did that with several other stories mm-hmm. that she was telling herself about her father and what it meant about their relationship and in turn what it meant about her um, and that she needed her father's approval. Uh, I need my father's approval. So we loosened up that with some of those stories, those reframes, those reflections, those turnarounds. Right. Big shout out to Byron Katie. Mm -hmm. And she was able to go from I need my father's approval to I, I appreciate my pro- father's approval. And that might sound s- small on paper. That's a massive step because when we need something, we think we need something and we don't get it or don't get it enough or don't get it enough in the way that we would want it, then, um, then that's a recipe for pain. Mm-hmm. It's a recipe for letdown. It's a recipe for blame. It's a recipe for stress response. It's a recipe for stale, stagnant breathing. It's a recipe for, uh, and then just stack it on, on top of that. Let's go with some dysfunction and, and bad sleep and poor digestion and some addiction. Let's throw that in there too. Mm-hmm. I mean, all this stuff is, it's, the story is the foundation for the whole thing. Right, right. Um, and so I, I appreciate my father's approval. Now I can go without it. Yeah, right. Okay. And then I will really will appreciate it when I do have it. Right. But you okay. don't need it to function. Exactly. The need is gone. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Dang, that's cool. I like that. Pretty cool. Yep. Pretty cool. Cool. Um, so what would you tell your 21-year-old self? What you know now, right? Because we, we get to where we are because sure. of our experiences and our failures and so forth. So let's say you could shorten the learning curve if you could go back in time and talk to your 21-year-old self. Not that you would hear you. <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> that's a part of it. But let's say for the sake of this conversation that you can, you can go back and say, Hey, here's what I've discovered. What would you, and I'm asking this question because I had this experience with my brother, my younger brother. Uh, I'm 36. He's 21. Okay. And he's like, what would you do if you were my age? Right. That's a wise man in the making right there. Oh man. Yeah. Super proud of him. And I said, great question. I would start self-development now. Now. Because I didn't get into it until I was 33. And I can see how soft talk, I told you at the Strong Coach Summit, when I discovered soft talk through the vocabulary uh, course, immediately everything that had led to this this, um, failure, it closed. It didn't do what it was supposed to. And And I say that not like beating myself up, but, you know, I had a mission and a goal and it didn't happen. So this failure of Rush Club is all tied to soft talk, right? 
And had I discovered self-discovery and how our thoughts create our reality and how our language creates what we ex- how we experience life and all of this stuff, soft talk has been the thing that's like held me back the most because of you know my uh, <laughs> Steve says if you plant shit fruit you're gonna uh, plant shit seeds you're gonna eat shit fruit right that is soft talk to a T. In other words, for the listeners because you know this, but in other words, I don't want to hold you accountable to an agreement because it's uncomfortable and it might cause conflict. Knowing full well that I'm gonna deal with conflict certainly down the road because I didn't clean it up now, Yeah. right? And every part of my past where I can see that I backed off for fear of conflict, it always ultimately, I mean, it's not a story, I've looked at it. It always ultimately led to some sort of disagreement or things not fulfilling, being fulfilled the way they were intended to be because I didn't make sure that there was direct communication in the moment, right? So what would you tell your 21-year-old self that you feel like would make the biggest difference in around that age? Speak 20% slower. Okay. And pay very close attention to what happens, which is the advice that I give people when they say, Give me the one thing. Speak slower. Speak slower. In order to, one, breathe a little bit better while you're talking and give yourself that extra mental real estate to connect some dots between what you're thinking and saying and how it's influencing your imagination and how you're feeling. And once that game has commenced, then it's, it's a broadening awareness that people build upon. They expand upon that. The fastest way that I've found for people to get an experience uh, for themselves, practicing this by themselves, is to do just that. Slow it down. Hmm. Slow it down. And then pay attention to people. Pay attention to what people say um, that are very indecisive. And you'll pick up some things. Hmm. And go hang out with the person that you know that worries the most and listen to what they say. And you'll pick up some things. Interesting. Yeah. And then go, and then, and then when you can be, a neutral third-party observer to an argument, pay attention. You'll pick up some things. Don't believe either of those people. Right. Just believe that they believe themselves. There's a big difference there. Mm. And pay attention to what they say. And pay attention to how loud they say what they say. <laughs> and pay attention to what they do with their hands when they say what they say. Okay? Because their body gets involved too. Yeah. Their language is influencing their physicality. Their language is influencing their ability to breathe. Their language is influencing the pictures that they're making of what that other person is doing or not doing. And it sure as shit influences how they feel. <laughs> and that is a lot of the conversation about the other side of the fence of language. Okay, so we got the academic side. Right. Not necessarily academic. So let's just talk about what most people learn in public schools. Yeah. Okay. Because there's a whole lot to the conversation about the academics of language. And it's, it's a lot of its way over my head. 
There's more to the language game than spelling, the spelling and the grammar and the definitions that you learned in the eighth grade and then learn more about in the 10th grade. And then, you know, yeah, that is what I said. That is what I would say to my 21 year old self. That is what I say to people when they ask me, give me one thing to do. Hmm. And they come back and they're like, that shit works. (laughs) Yeah. Like, cool. That's awesome. Um, where do you see yourself in 10 years? On stage in front of 50,000 people. Heard you say that before. Yeah. Hasn't changed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm repping that. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Do the reps, people. Are you talking about this? What are you sharing when you're doing this? That? Yeah. This. I'm in the game for 38 more years. Mm-hmm. And in 10 years, I will be in stay on stage in front of 50,000 people. Uh and I'm excited to know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to become the person that can handle that kind of pressure. I'm excited to build the relationships that it will take to uh, uh, create a business with the that amount of influence mm-hmm. to magnetize and motivate 50,000 people to come to a place on a scheduled date at a time um, to have an experience with themselves and a whole group of people. I want to know what that looks like. Yeah. Not just in my imagination. Right. Because I've seen it in my imagination. Right. Um, And I also want to become the, the, I look forward to becoming more and more of the person that is, um, mature because there's a maturation process okay involved mm-hmm. uh and it has begun mm-hmm. and you know the version of me um i'm a in a lot of ways i'm an unlikely participant in the the good attitude business because uh really i the only thing i wanted to do back in the day was was to uh, inflict damage and pain um i got off on it I really did, uh, and I understand why that wa- why that was that way. I was going to ask you that. You talked about it earlier. Why yeah. was that? Yeah, because I hated myself. Do you know why? I'm sure you do. What did you connect with when you discovered that? An on it was it's my it was my externalization of a deeply entrenched victim mentality. Mm-hmm. And when someone has that kind of, it, it, it's it, the, the byproduct is self-loathing, mm-hmm. self-hatred. We express it in our own ways. My particular flavor was um, uh, a legit appetite for violence, mm-hmm. appetite for destruction. Mm-hmm. I thought it was funny to punch someone in their face just to see the expression on their face, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and. I'm a softer version of myself now, much more so. I practice martial arts now for a very different reason. Mm-hmm. And that is to downregulate myself in the heat of the moment. So I travel a lot. I go in different gyms from time to time. And I know a bunch of dorky looking motherfuckers that will wipe the floor <laughs> with my face. Yeah. So I've done enough of this. I've done enough 
training to know to keep my mouth shut. Yep. Because um, you just don't know anymore, man. Another value for speaking 20% slower? Big time. <laughs> you get to choose your words. Yeah. So you don't have to choose your battles. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, yeah. um, and and when I go in, I'm I'm looking, the my main, the two things that I'm looking for as far as my internal practice, well, my face isn't my, an internal practice, but, you know, the dialogue is stay smooth in my breath and keep my face relaxed and, and be, be, I, I, before I was a hard style fighter. Now I'm, all I want to be is elegant and smooth mm. and accurate and just, just touch. Yeah. Just, just, and, and, and play because I know how I want to feel when I walk out of the gym, mm-hmm. which is not busted up yep. and pissed. Yeah. Okay. Which is how I left the gym almost every single time. Cause you were never good enough for yourself or whatever. I wasn't story good enough was. for myself. Um, and I needed to, to, yeah, my, my, my remedy for that was, um, you know, putting a hurt on other people. And when that didn't go my way, I would leave mad or hurt-ing. I mean, I was, I was hurt the whole time I trained. You know, maybe not acutely, but it was, I was, I was hurting. Um, yeah. Story rules, dude. Yeah. Mark, how do people find you? Mark England, 2020 on Instagram. If the conversation that we had about language interests you, go to procabulary.org, click on courses, watch the three-minute promotional video. This is the course that AJ was talking about. If you want to save yourself a lot of time, a lot of heartache, problems. If you want to talk yourself into more opportunities and better relationships and uh, uh, more confidence and momentum and the ability to stay focused on what matters to you and be more and more successful, this course is for you. Absolutely. And uh, there's, a, there's a coupon box put in next level. Get $100 off. It's a $299 course. Get $100 off. $199, and of course, is yours for the rest of your life. Watch those videos, take it to heart, practice some of it, and you will surprise yourself for all the best reasons about how powerful your stories are. And then you share this with people in your family, you share it with people at work, just as a byproduct of communicating with them, mm-hmm. and their life gets better. Awesome. Mark England, thanks for investing some time with me this afternoon. My pleasure, AJ. Thank you for having me on, man. It was very nice. I, when I looked on the, the podcast list and uh, and I saw you on there, I'm like, hey, Mike, send me AJ's number, That's man. That's awesome. Like, let's do a show, dude. Thanks, brother. It's cool. Cool. All right. Let's go have some fun. Let's do it.